Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Danny Shapiro, and this is The Way We Live Now. Today is day 44, that those of us who are not first responders, or essential workers are staying home. And it's day number eight of this podcast. I've been thinking a lot about hope, and I want to read you a quote. Hope begins in the dark. The stubborn hope that if you just show up and try to do the right thing, the dawn will come. You wait and watch and work. You don't give up. That quote is from essayist, memoirist, novelist, activist, the beloved author, Anne Lamott. Anne Lamott joins me today on The Way We Live Now. Annie, welcome. Tell me where you are right now. Invite us into your home. Where are you sitting? What are you seeing out the window if you're looking out a window? I'm sitting on my bed where I would say I'm spending about 80% of my time now. And um, we have a huge bed and um, I'm looking out at a lot of trees. And my son and his son live at, on a little barn in a little barn about 100 feet away. So every so often I see activity over there. We have to, we are social distancing because my grandson has um, spends half the time here and half the time with his mom and her family. So I sort of see, it's sort of like laughing, you know. Mm. Somebody will pop out of, the, out of a door and I'll see a flurry of activity. But mostly I'm sitting on my bed. I'm not one of those people who's learning a new language or new cooking skills. And um, every so often I go out of the kitchen, Neil cooks, so why would I need to? And um, and I get something grabbable and delicious, and I come back here and I make the kid, kitty lie down with me, mm-hmm. and we rest or read. Mm. So you're in your house with Neil, and your son Sam and and his son are waving across from across the lawn, waving yeah, across in the barn, waving across yeah. the social distance. Right. 
But we get together. Neil made a, um, my birthday was Friday, Easter was Sunday, and our first anniversary was yesterday. So we had these three, you know, day, real days and in quarantine. But so we have this funny, funky carport and Neil made this kind of outdoor living room with a fire pit and all the old, all the old chairs that don't go with any, with each other. And um, and then he hung up this beautiful coverlet, this aged coverlet from India that's very bright and looks like kids made it with elephants and children. And um, so we uh, spend. Jax is trying to teach me Dungeons and Dragons, but we call it um, Dungeons and Grandmas because I'm like making. I have to make sure all the characters are eating, and then <laughs> if I get it all cold, then everybody has to stop and go get a sweatshirt. <laughs> So that's the house rule. So I'm, we're, I get to see everybody a lot, but we're socially distanced. Mm-hmm. When did the magnitude of this pandemic hit home for you? Was there an, a particular emblematic moment? Uh, yeah, just to be honest, I think it was when it turned out that Neil considered Sam and Sam's girlfriend and his um, son, my grandson, to to be possibly... Um, dangerous exposure for us because my grandson goes in and out, um, to his other family and, um, my son's girlfriend has to go out a couple times a week. And then they're both, you know, they're 30, so they're shopping. And I was just furious since I felt like that would be Neil's rule because he's more of a stickler and I'm super careful. I'm super careful. I've shopped once with a, the mask and the gloves and the everything. I'm totally safe. But in this one case, I really wanted my way and didn't get it. I mean, I really understand the science. That was the worst. And I just felt devastated and crushed. And then I felt, you know, we were about a, two weeks before our first anniversary. So I thought the marriage was a complete catastrophe. And and it's been hard because I'd really love to just stretch out on their couch and watch Survivor with Jax, you know, and eat caramel corn or something. So I really see it as a lazy Susan, you know, and, mm. and that some days it stops on this incredible poignancy of the volunteers and the and the medics and the nurses and the doctors and the uh and the people delivering our food and stuff and, and um and then other days, a lot of the time, I'm just in disbelief and rage at Trump and his administration. I'm in disbelief at this enraged form of it. And um, and then the lazy Susan spins, and then I'm really in surrender, you know, that we're all in this together, and we're very vulnerable, and um, we're connected. And then the lazy Susan spins, and I just eat this gigantic gigantic amount of sugar. <laughs> There's been a lot around because it's my birthday, you know, yeah. so Neil made a pie and Sam and Jack made a cake for my birthday and Neil made lemon meringue pie and then all this Easter candy and then two pounds of Hershey's Kisses showed up. So, but it's really a lazy Susan. There's not something I'm usually at, except I'm almost always on my bed reading. Yeah. You know, that, that what you just said reminds me of a cartoon that um, a friend sent me the other day of um, a couple who has clearly gained a ton of weight trying to get out of their house after the pandemic, after we're allowed to go outside <laughs> again, and they can't get out the door. I've been spending a lot of time in bed, too. And I'm wondering, you know, with, and also you you mentioned your cat. For me, it's my dog. Like, just this sense of, you know, where we find our, I can't even say comfort, but a place where we can uh, land. 
Yeah, well, I just go around muttering, keep the patient comfortable, you know, and there's, today I'm sending money to just, to maybe a hundred food banks. I'm just going really big. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I'm sending $25 here and there, but um, so that is very comforting to me because giving is always comforting and always filling. But for most of the time, I'm just noticing how many old feelings I have left to my own devices if I don't keep myself comfortable. You know, I have old feelings of shame and I'm just, I'm watching the self-talk. I mm-hmm. got sober almost 34 years ago and, and my mentor at the time and actually still always said, watch the self-talk, watch the self-talk. I'm watching the stuff that comes up that I'm not doing enough or that I'm, um, I, I mean, I really do have it better than 99% of the world. And I'll start to shame myself for that. But, you know, mm-hmm. a great acronym for shame in the recovery community is um, should have already mastered everything. <laughs> and um, and how could I have mastered this fever dream? It really is like a, a movie or, a you know, a series you'd watch on TV. And so I'm watching, I'm listening for the the old voices of shame. My friend Terry calls it the cranky bitch upstairs. <laughs> she, you might have read her book, actually, Terry Tate, who wrote A Crooked Smile, who had mm. uh, oral cancer that uh, something like 2% of people live five years, and she had it 25 years ago. But So when she says something about coming through really, really scary hard times, I take it seriously. But she talks about the cranky bitch upstairs, and when I hear the cranky bitch I just know I'm. It's a misguided effort to kind of calm myself because it's very familiar. It's sort mm-hmm. of home, so I'll just pat myself on the shoulder and practice radical self-love and and um, hit the reset button and probably a lot of the same stuff you're doing, Annie. I wonder what do you think that is because I think that that's something that most people listening to our conversation are nodding their heads listening to you right now. That the voices. I think for many of us have gotten louder or resurfaced. Um, there are a lot of people who aren't used to solitude. You know, you're used to solitude. I'm used to solitude. We do our work in solitude. A lot of people have mm-hmm. none of that in their lives. And suddenly they're faced with a tremendous amount and or with living with people that they're not used to having home all the time. What do you think about like where where that voice kind of rises up from. Well, I think that voice for some of us um, was home, that we're doing it wrong or there's something wrong with us or that we're, everybody else is bringing their best selves and we're actually having really mean or jealous or um, spoiled. Or for me, I I feel a lot of this sort of victimized self-righteousness, but I really developed a lot of these um, survival habits um, of obsession and and trance um, when I was a, a child in a a marriage that was really unhappy. And so if it was my fault, then there was hope, right? Because mm-hmm. then I could try to either be better or need less or do more for mm-hmm. the, you know, my little caseload of mom and dad and two brothers. And so I think under this level of stress, we want to go home. We want mom and dad to be on board and we don't have a adult in the um, White House. We don't have a grown up mm-hmm. in charge of this and so we go back to where there seemed where there were grown-ups in charge, no matter how ruinous that turned out to be. And so, for me, it's it's just like the oldest songs in the jukebox, you know. And if I feel stressed or uh, kind of existentially afraid, I 
put a quarter in and I play the song that it's other people that are making me feel this way and other people, if, if, if I could just correct their behavior, then I'd feel a lot more comfortable in my own skin. And so I think it's really a habit that for a lot of us began in childhood mm-hmm. of um, playing these songs that say there's more we could be doing, we could be doing better, um, we could be needing nothing, we could, we're selfish, we're this or that. So, but for people that aren't used to being alone um, or are trapped with somebody <laughs> that they like to see like for a couple hours a week <laughs> instead of 24 seven, um, you know, kids that have come home from colleges that are 20 and, you know, they're... That's exactly, they're, uh, that's exactly what I've got at home right now. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, their neocortexes aren't fully developed yet. Their judgment and they're having a 20-year round. My best friend has a 21-year round. It's easier to have teenagers because teenagers just act a certain way all the time, whereas the 20, 22, 23-year-olds, the way they get you is they act much more mature and have more equanimity more often. But inside, because their brains aren't fully developed, they're still have a lot of the teenage tendency to whine or to find fault with you and to blame and to huff and puff and sulk. Um, and that's how they self-medicate. Mm. And uh, whereas I might self-medicate by with shame or with, uh, yeah, thinking that, that I'm the reason everybody's not happier in the house. But you know what? I, this might be um, helpful for your readers or your listeners, whatever you call it, your podcasty people. Um, <laughs> I said I went to walk with my son today, six feet apart in the woods, and um, you know the great outdoors is a good acronym for God. And he was having a really hard time with the trapped feeling with the girlfriend and the son and the. And I said I think this is really, really good nautilus for your soul, and you're developing muscles that no one, very few people in this country have had to have before, of um, maintaining a sense that there's meaning in all of this, that there there will be an ending, that we really will be okay. My best friend, who I mentioned, who has a really difficult twenty year old around right now, she also has a kid with a brain tumor and. When I ask her if it's okay, if she thinks you're okay over there, she'll say, yeah, you know, I just have to keep changing what okay means. Mm. Because today okay means uh, my son is creating art and and it's going really well. And we have a leftover gluten-free pound cake. And that is really lovely. And the art and the pound cake, I mean, of course we're okay. But she said, I just have to keep changing what okay means to me today. So. So you said something before about, you know, I'm not learning a new language or, you know, there's a term I heard earlier during this period of time, which is productivity porn, that like there's, Uh there are all these people out there who, and you know, some of them are, this is how they're coping and great things may come of it, but who are, you know, Marie Kondoing their houses and rearranging their spice drawers and there was something going around Twitter about how Shakespeare wrote King Lear during a quarantine and just a little pressure, you know, and and just this sense that, oh, we have all this time, we're supposed to do something with it. And that, I think, can also be really challenging for people who, uh, you know, we're trying to metabolize something that is unmetabolizable, if that's a word, this dystopian, unimaginable uh, time. Really, truly, none of us could have imagined it. You're a novelist. I'm a novelist. I uh-huh. I think about lots of scary things in the future. Kind of pride myself in thinking of all the possibilities. Not this one. 
I know, huh? I know. Well, you know, I think one thing that helps me is that I came here to this incarnational side of things, feeling like the stranger in the strange land. And I, because our family was um, unsuccessful in terms of love and um, serenity and spirituality of which, you know, we were, I was raised by atheists and which is, was great. It's kind of how I found my own way, but I felt like maybe most writers do so different and so isolated. And that really led to this imagination and this reliance on reading and doing the deep dive into who we are and, and in the face of death, how do we live and all the stuff that um, occurred to people like me that were highly sensitive children. There was a book, and I think I might be older than you, but there was a book in the 50s called The Highly Sensitive Child, <laughs> and it was a, a, a how-to book for parents who were saddled with a child like me who was sensitive, who had a really open heart, who had a um, an awareness of what was happening in India, who had an awareness of happen, what happened at the pound. Hmm. You know, they're not all the... I couldn't... They couldn't take me to the pound with them. So... Um, I felt this way always, and this is like the winch has been so tightened by this pandemic. But for me, the winch was so tightened when Trump was elected that there was nothing in my brain pan that could accommodate that mm-hmm. and the um, and a level of abuse and, and uh, sexual predatory behavior and the extreme, extreme toxic narcissism. And so... I really lost a certain kind of hope then, and I needed to find a different kind of hope that wasn't um, circumstantial. And the hope I found was in how we all came through that and how we, um, you know, it's like Mr. Rogers' mother always said, and this is a cliche now, but during the tragedies and catastrophes, you look for the helpers. And I I just started really looking for the helpers after November 2016, and I started looking for like bright those bright ribbons that are here and there. If you have your eyes open this morning, I walked my dog down to this tiny park. I found a plastic Easter egg in the grass, but I left it there for the next person. Hmm. You know, there's stuff like that all over the place. It's this guy that helped um, Bill Wilson get AA off the ground, although he was not an alcoholic. I can't think of his name right now, but he was a priest, a Catholic priest. He said, sometimes I think that heaven is just a new pair of glasses. And so that was one of the ways we got our hope back after the last election was that we put on a different pair of glasses. Like what blessing, what um, healing was going to come out of this? Was this barge that had been headed towards the end of the earth from really in my book, since Ronald Reagan going to finally, finally turn around. Is this what it took? Was this, I mean, for me, living this way has been like living with a, a violent alcoholic father. And um, so we needed an owner's manual for that and that you protect yourself. You protect your baby inside person. You um, offer shelter to the storm when other people are really terrified and feel like they're going under and you're not. I mean, you make everyone, including your own very disappointing self, a lovely cup of tea. That's usually half of the solution is, you know, to stop and to breathe and to have a cup of tea. Hmm. My mother was from Liverpool and it was um, enough for anything that might come up. And, you know, the whole system works because we're not all as nuts on the same day. So that's a beautiful place to leave uh, our listeners. I think, you know, your work has brought such a sense of spiritual solace to so many. And I know that your words 
today are going to reach a lot of people. And Oh, I hope so. Just, you know, my son has a tattoo on his form. It says, we never give up. Mm. But we just don't give up. And yeah. we wait for the plates of the earth to shift underneath us one day at a time, one day at a time. And they will. They always have. Yeah. The bright ribbons. Yep. The bright ribbons. Thanks, Annie. This is really wonderful okay, to I'm talk to you. I'm sending you love and a huge virtual podcasty hug. <laughs> right back at you. Okay. Thanks. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to The Way We Live Now. Tell us the way you're living now. We want to hear. Call us on, you might want to get a pen for this, 909-713-8995. That's 909-713-8995. And record your story, and we might just use it on the pod. Also, you can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash The Way We Live Now pod. We are creating a community here, and we would love for you to join us. You can find me on Instagram at Danny Ryder. The Way We Live Now is a production of iHeartRadio. It's produced by Lowell Berlanti. Beth Ann Macaluso is executive producer. Special thanks to Tristan McNeil and Tyler Klang. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.